Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I am visiting with Yeremiyahu Aaron Taub. Yeremiyahu is a poet, writer, and Yiddish translator. He is the author of six books of poetry and two works of fiction. He was a recipient of the Yiddish Book Center's 2012 Translation Award, along with his co-translator, Ellen Cassidy, for their translation of Bluma Limpel's Oedipus in Brooklyn, and Yermayahu was a Yiddish Book Center Translation Fellow in 2018. Dina is a 2022 Great Jewish Books Club selection. As Kirkus Reviews noted, Dina is a tragic, lovely, and important novel in translation, and translator Ross Benjamin notes this novel should take a prominent place in the expanding canon of Yiddish women writers brought out of entirely undeserved obscurity. Welcome, Mirmiyahu. I have been so looking forward to having you on the schmooze. Today's visit is occasioned by publication of your latest translation of Ida Maza's Dina, an autobiographical novel. Mazeltov. Thank you, Lisa, and thank for you for all your amazing work on this project, and thank you to the amazing team at White Coat Press for making this happen. Uh, well, Kudos. It, uh, it a pleasure all around. It is a truly, um, I could not put it down when I got to read it in manuscript, so thank you. Um, I have to ask you, now I get to ask you all the questions I've wanted to ask you for a while. Um, how did you find your way to the work? And maybe also speak a little bit about the time frame and place that the book is set in. And before you do that, I will say that we will avoid having to um, issue spoiler alerts throughout this because you want to come to this novel with a fresh, fresh read. Yeah, absolutely. Feel free to cut me off if I uh, okay. give anything away. <laughs> um, sometimes when you're so steeped in it, you don't always realize if you're revealing too much. Um, I had heard about Ida Maza through the years. Um, she's kind of a legend um, in Yiddish literary circles. And um, I had done some reading of some of her poems, um, which are quite extraordinary. Um, and then, yeah, then I came to the novel um, and I kind of couldn't put it down. Um, it was a voice that was um both young and wise and old all at the same time it was it had multiple perspectives um there was the omniscient narrator there was the young girl um sometimes you couldn't always differentiate those um and it also so it told the story of a young girl and her her coming of age and it was also a beautiful collective portrait of life in kind of village slash rural um, Vice Rusland, White Russia, what is now Belarus. So I think I was found it both enchanting um, and harrowing, moving, poetic, um, exciting, and uh, revelatory all at once. I think, that, <laughs> I think those are enough superlatives for one sentence, but um, it was, a very gripping uh, experience, and I'm hoping that readers will also find that as well. I can assure you they will. Um, I, I I knew of Ida Maza through her poetry, and I'm curious, is this her only novel? As far as I know, it is. Um, 
and yeah, she's she's very well known. She had, I believe, it was four books of poetry, um, one of which won a prize, Vaxen Meine Kinderlach. As far as I know, it is her only uh, prose work. And I have to ask you, how hard was it for you to find her voice? I mean, I I found your translation is beautiful, um, but your translation, oh, you. I will say are always beautiful, Yermio. Um, her writing, I thought was kind of poetic and, and I'm not sure if this is the right word, but that precision, it's just so, it's, she doesn't waste a word. Um, and I wondered again, how hard was it for you to, to find that style and her voice and also make it um, the translation that it is? Yeah, wow, there's a lot in that question. Um, it is, I mean, I think with every project, you're always searching for that voice, for that um, both capturing the author's voice and then also kind of quote unquote translating it um, for a contemporary audience. Um, and you're always, one is, you know, a translator is always finding that tightrope, that dance. Uh, between both being true to the author's voice, but then also bringing it up to the current day so that it's accessible to current mm. readers. So it can be a challenge sometimes. Um, sometimes we're so stuck in our current day that we don't even realize that we're using contemporary language. Um, and, you know, readers will point out <laughs> Uh, oh, this is too current. Uh, this is too contemporaneous. Um, and so it's it's about that dance between the past and the present that I think every translator goes through. I think before I take on a project, I'm always thinking about, um, can I occupy this text? Can I grapple with this text? Can the text occupy a central place in my cosmos for, you know, three years or possibly more, however long the project takes. Um, do I feel that I can bring this author's voice across? Um, and that's not always something you know right away. Um, and I think for me, like I was drawn to the poeticism, the lyricism and the combination of prose and poetry that I think this, boy, this book occupies and celebrates um, so that there are whole passages that one could easily imagine being framed as a poem. Um, and there is that kind of hybridity to the text, to this extremely poetic uh, prose. Um, so when I saw that project, you know, when I started the project, um, I was aware of, you know, is this something I can make work? Is this something I can live with? Is this something I can um, bring across? And, you know, um, you hope, one always hopes that one has done the author justice. Um, I'm I often go to uh, meetings and programs, um, especially now on Zoom, um, where people say, oh, you've got to read the original and don't read the translation. You know, people <laughs> say, don't read the translation, you've got to read the original. Um, and so for me, it's really important that, and I know it is for White Goat Press and you know more broadly 
the Yiddish Book Center's translation program that the translation has to stand on its own as a literary work. Um, and so that's, um, you know, as an alumnus of the program, that was something that was always foregrounded and, you know, um, made, made essential, you know, knocked into our minds is that um, we really do need to make sure this work stands on its own um, as literature. And so that's something I always think about. Um, and that can play out in terms of, you know, how much Yiddish or Hebrew you're going to represent, how much we can put in the glossary, how much are you going to translate. Um, it can get really complicated um, in pretty nitty gritty, you know, do you even want a glossary? Do you want an embedded translation? Do you want to, you know, some words are now accepted into English, but mm -hmm. would a general audience know what those words mean, um, even if it is accepted into English? So those are all things that come into play. Um, and, uh, you know, to me as a reader and somebody who doesn't have the ability to read it in the original in Yiddish, um, you know, it's always great when you don't, excuse me, know that you're reading a translation. It just reads seamlessly. Um, and I know, honestly, that that is a craft. Um, it's That came know. more into play in, in my Bricks translation where I really wanted to show the translatedness. Mm -hmm. So because there were so many languages and he was moving between Polish, German, Yiddish, there was Hebrew. And he himself in the Yiddish was representing, mm -hmm. Achmiel Bricks was representing Yiddish, um, Polish in Yiddish letters. Right. So, and it was important for him to convey the Polish language, which he obviously knew really well. Um, and so, you know, there it's like, well, maybe you do want to show the translatedness of it. Mm -hmm. So I think that was less the case here in with Dina, but, you know, different projects demand different strategies translation wise. And yeah, and, yeah um, I'm, I'm not trying to flatter you, but I think that that's what you do very brilliantly. Again, you're Mia, who is you really, um, yeah, the work that you come to and, and the way that it evolves is done in a considered way that realizes what it has to be. And as you say, it, they're all different. Um, they're all different. Um, it, so this novel is really an incredible window into the life of Jewish girlhood in white Russia. Um, it's through the eyes of Dina. Um, and we're taken into this world as it's observed by this little girl. And I was kind of amazed at um, Ida's ability to recall the details of her childhood. It's autobiographical, as it says. Um, and to tell a story, which is, let's say, it's not always an easy story. So I guess, you know, a couple of questions here again, as I want to do is to load you up with lots of questions within a question. How was it for you to inhabit that world so closely um, as you were translating the work? Wow. Um, yeah. So um, at the end of the book, it mentions the completion date as 1939. So it's all those many years after 
yeah, August 22nd, 1939, um, in Quebec, in the Laurentians, Mongolan. Um, so that's what, you know, some 35 years after the events of Dina, um, actually longer, you know, since Dina kind of begins at the end of the 19th century. So yeah, she has that distance. Um, she herself has that distance. And um, there is that, inter that interplay, um, as I said earlier, between the young girl and, you know, the older writer. Um, and I would have loved to have asked, you know, um, Ida Maza, like, why did she do it this way? Like, did she ever consider just doing, quote unquote, straight direct memoirs? Um, you know, we just don't know that. And, you know, we never will. Um, unless someone uncovers something in her vast archives at the Jewish Public Library, which are still, um, you know, under-researched. I spent some time in the archives, but it was barely scratching the surface. Um, she saved like everything and her collection is just absolutely vast um, and knew everyone. Um, so yeah, I mean, I didn't, um, I didn't want to blunt that interaction that kind of tension between past and present. Um, I think maybe there were moments when she herself was truly living. And then there were moments where she was looking at it from a distance. Of course, she was always looking at it from a distance or I think she wanted to convey the in situ, you know, the young girlness um, at times. Um, and in, in a sense, you know, she wrote poems for children and adults. And I think she was always interested in the question of childhood and the well-being of children. Um, she read stories to children at the Jewish Public Library. Um, and her stories for children are really, um, or excuse me, her poems for children are very intimate. They're very wise. They're very playful. Um, they're sort of whimsical, funny, kind of, you know, light but dark. Light but really dark also, yeah. So, I mean, there's, there are poems that adults and children can enjoy um, because they're so knowing and they're so smart. Um, and I think that duality, that kind of interactiveness, that kind of friction, frisson between child and adult, you know, past and present kind of are, appear throughout the book. Um, it can sometimes seem a little disconcerting for the reader, maybe, where you're like, okay, can we get back to Dina? Like, this is great. I love learning about Hinda and Shprinza and Ansara and all these other great characters, but can we get back to Dina? But I think in the end, um, you know, this is the portrait that she wanted to create. This, this is the style. The book does have a rhythm and it never goes too far away from Dina. So there, she's always like kind of looping it back. Um, and I think that's what makes it both unsettling and also kind of joyous and wonderful. It's so interesting to hear you say that because one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was for me, Dina is always in the periphery of the scene. I feel like she's, yeah, she's both child, she's adult, she's empathetic. She has her own 
frustrations and things that she's trying to deal with, which um, it's interesting that you talk about her in terms of her poetry and reading to children, because it's almost like a resolution of who she was as a child or what she needed as a child. Um, right. And in working with it, I, I'd be curious to hear if you if you thought about her in in terms of how she, as a narrator, as a writer, placed herself. As I say, I mean, I always saw her at the edges of a scene, watching. Do you mean a, Ida or Dina? Dina or or both. Yeah. Dina. Dina or both. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's there's, there's always that Ida. uncertainty, yeah. isn't yeah. there? Yeah. I mean, I think. Um, think that Dina and Ida and actually Chaya like that was her you know her Yiddish slash Hebrew name before she became Ida um and I've asked um her son Professor Irving Massey he doesn't know how Ida became her nom de plume mm -hmm. actually how everyone called her you know later in life they called her Ida um and I guess I mean I guess Chaya is kind of close to Ida. Um, I think um, I think this book is a really interesting um, kind of um, it brings a kind of unsettledness to the genre. Um, it is at heart, you know, it brings it never lets you forget its hybridity. You know, the hybridity is always present. Um, it's never just one thing. It's never just a memoir or just a work of fiction. Um, I think it will, readers will have an interesting time um, trying to figure out slash imagine what is, you know, the most autobiographical. I mean, my sense is a lot of it's autobiographical. Um, I don't know, maybe 90%, 95%. Um, probably some of the dialogue is made up and um, things like that. Some of the scenes where she couldn't have been there, mm -hmm. um, but was imagining. But I think it probably gave her freedom um, to imagine so that she wasn't bound by, you know, events that as a very young girl, she might not have been, might not have seen. Um, she might have been fleshing out um, rumors that were circulating in the community. Um, things that she heard we know because it's you know she is who she is um she was very attuned like her antennae were super sensitive to everything that was going on in the community around her um my sense is like those character studies of all those um it's beautifully sketched character studies all those different people that move in and out those are all you know either people she knew or people she'd heard about you know some of the characters on the periphery she might have fleshed out like what happens like there are certain scenes you know with her older sister malka and another um, family member that you know she could not have been present at but maybe malka told her or you know she was developing certain things um, I also don't know like what her family thought about this book um, because, you know, it's, and maybe that is a clue into why it remained in her draw for all those years and only came out posthumously. We should honor yeah. um, her dear friend, Maisha Shafir, 
um, who brought out the Yiddish original and um, typed it up, um, you know, formed a book committee, was the chair of the book committee, really advocated for this book mm -hmm. and its place in Yiddish literature. Um, those are all questions we just don't know. The answers might lie in the archives or they might be um, kind of unanswerable. But um, my general sense is that she was highly attuned to what was going on in a way that's kind of amazing. You know, that's just sort of unbelievable. Um, the, it just feels like most of it is remembered, you know, that there's some, you know, creative imagining, um, you know, even the word, you know, it says Derzelung, autobiographische um, Derzelung as the subtitle, um, and Derzelung just means story. So even that is kind of like, you know, it could be what today would be called creative nonfiction. Um, but the reason why I went with novels because the names are changed for a lot of the characters, not all of them. Um, Malka and Sarah's names were, the sisters were Malka and Sarah. Um, I believe Itcha and Freidel were also. Um, Feitel was not Feitel in real life. Um, the parents in the book, Shalom and Pesha are, were in real life, Shimon and Musha. So there was clearly an effort on her part to separate this from, you know, mm -hmm. autobiography to kind of create some distance. So I, I feel comfortable with going with autobiographical novel, but yeah, it's, it's definitely going to raise, I feel like really good discussions among readers about all these kind of questions. It was, I was going to ask you about um, the fact that it was published posthumously, but you've addressed that. And in terms of, yeah, discussion for readers, um, one of the reasons why it is a 2022 um, Great Jewish Books Club selection. Um, I think it will be an amazing read. And it's so, um, it's exciting to have a novel by a woman. Um, we have short stories, um, but something that takes you on this arc is really quite something. Which leads me to a question I usually put to most of my guests, um, which is, was there a was there a point in in the work or when you were you know doing the translation when you were trying to find her voice or one of the characters which really resonated and sort of was pivotal in terms of your sort of taking that deep deep dive into this. That would be hard. Um, I, I mean, the book for me is so chock full of um, wow moments. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of starts with wow moments. Um, that chapter two, for example, even that first paragraph, the second paragraph. Um, I don't know how much time we have to read, but um, go ahead. I could, yeah, I can read. At the village gate, on summer mornings, even before the landowner's overseers had arrived on horseback in the village to hire the hay harvesters and the rye reapers, people had already gathered at the gate. There stood peasant youths with long gleaming scythes over their strong shoulders, and peasant girls wearing vibrant headkerchiefs 
white linen blouses sewn with small cross stitches in various motifs of birds and flowers and thick pleated short rainbow colored skirts reaching above the knee under loose cut bodices firm round maiden breasts rose and fell in the rhythmic movement of bodies in the full bloom of youth over their shoulders sharp half moon sickles fused together as one the young men and women with gusto and post-nocturnal joy on their faces stood and sang and their song wafted across fields and roads from one village to another this was the song of field and forest this was the song of an enslaved generation a generation whose every wellspring of knowledge had been stopped up and it was a song of freedom even as it sang of enslavement and it was a song of love even as it wept with longing and the song soared from the village gate until the nobleman's overseers arrived and requisitioned everyone to the fields to work and the song resounded far and wide as it spread out from the village to the nearby fields and an echo remained suspended in the air until the harvesters and the reapers took to their tools and thus was the sound of song transformed into the sound of scythe and sickle thank you for our listeners, the book is Dina, an autobiographical novel. It's available at shop.yiddishbookcenter.org and elsewhere where you will find fine works in translation. I'd like to mention again that it's a 2022 Great Jewish Books Club selection. If you'd like to join the book club, which is free, email bookclub at yiddishbookcenter.org and read Dina along with 1,300 other people around the globe and join the conversation. Thank you again, Yermiyahu, for all you do and all you bring to your work in translation. And to Dina, here's to the launch of a fantastic novel. Thank you so much, Lisa. And thank you for all your hard work on this book, for bringing it out, for all your vision. Um, I'm just so honored that it came out through White Goat Press and so honored to White Goat Press for creating such a beautiful home for Dina. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. You have been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Elizabeth Carteropoli. Until next time, be well and be healthy. <laughs>